Words are a stupid thing to say. <laughs> but that's never true of God's word, is it? His words are always true. They're always right. Just read a few of them before we go to our text this morning. From Psalm 90 and Psalm 91, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret, in the shelter of the Most High, will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. We can trust him, amen? He is the everlasting God in whom we put our trust. I want you to turn with me this morning, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. I want to begin, as I often do when I speak by asking you a question, and the question I want to ask you this morning is, do you like promises? Specifically, do you like it when someone makes a promise to you? I want you to think about that for a minute, and if we pass the microphone around this morning, how would you respond to that? I think in, if we were to do that, probably we would get uh, various answers in the realm of, yes, I like promises. And at the same time, no. There are some difficulties that come with promises. There are some things about promises that I like and some things about promises that I don't like. What is there to like about promises? Well, it's really nice when someone is nice enough to tell you what they believe will happen in the future. That's surely better than being left in the dark, isn't it? It's better than hearing someone say, well, I operate kind of on a need-to-know basis, and you don't need to know. But when someone loves you enough and tells you enough and, and he sits down with you and says to you that, you know, I promise that in the future that I'm going to do so and so. Or I promise that in the future that such and such is going to happen. And that says something about a person who says that to you, that it says something about their love for you. And most of us would say that giving the, given the alternative of not knowing or being kept in the dark, I will take having a promise to me every time. So from that perspective, we like promises. However, what is it about promises that we don't like? Well, I think, I think there's the element of, of uncertainty. The period of time between when the promise is made and when the promise is actually kept. There's this nagging doubt that maybe the person won't keep their promise. Or maybe the person can't keep their promise. So on the one hand, promises are good, but on the other, the in-between time when they're actually waiting to be kept and actually coming into bout can be challenging. 
The reason I'm raising that question this morning, because that's the very issue that's addressed in Matthew's prophecies about Christmas. In Matthew chapter 2, we've been looking at this a little bit and looking and trying to think through Christmas and Jesus and the baby being born in the eyes of the prophets. And one of the reasons for a person placing their faith in Jesus Christ is because of this matter of fulfilled prophecy. The Bible writers are are just so clear about this in their writing. It's so matter-of-fact in their mind. For example, when Peter in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 says, For we don't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of Jesus Christ. In other words, we wouldn't give our lives to testify about something or about someone who made up some fables and some bedtime stories about the beliefs that we believe. So we, wish we wouldn't do that. We wouldn't give our lives for that. Then he says in the same chapter, in a verse following, he says, For we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. In other words, we saw these things, we watched Jesus say what he said, we watched Jesus do what he did, we were eyewitnesses of it. But then he makes an astounding statement after that in verses 19 to 21 of Second Peter chapter 1, and he says, We have something even more sure than that. More sure than being eyewitnesses. More sure of the personal experiences that they had with Jesus. He says, we have the prophetic word made more sure. He goes on to say, to which you would do well to pay attention as a light shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. But know this first of all, Peter says, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What we're reading about, what we're studying about, didn't come from me, it didn't come from Bill Baker, it didn't come from any human being, it came from God. It didn't come from anyone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In other words, these words that we have are not man's words. They were written by man, but these words were given to us from God who moved them, who carried them along to the point that the very thing that we have, every jot, every tittle, everything in the Bible is from God. That's important, isn't it? You see, it's true that biblical Christianity requires faith. But it is not faith in nothing. And one of the strong reasons to believe in Jesus Christ is because the details of his birth, the details of his life, the details of his death, the details of his burial, the details of his resurrection, and everything that would follow were predicted hundreds of years before they happened. And it's mathematically impossible 
it is logically impossible to precisely fulfill all of these prophecies without it actually having took place. Peter is right when he said, you would do well to pay attention as a lamp, as a shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. You would do well to see this and see that it illuminates your mind and your hearts to say, this is true. Now that's what exactly what Matthew begins in his gospel here. If you're not there, go with me to Matthew chapter 2. But he's saying by giving his readers a series of fulfilled prophecies about the birth of Jesus during the Christmas season, we are studying just a couple of them. Not just what it says in the New Testament, but we're going back to see the context in which they were given. So we've seen Isaiah's prediction of Jesus that he would be born of a virgin. We went there last week and saw how powerful God must be, how pure he must be, and how personable he must be to fulfill that prophecy through the virgin birth. But this morning I want to kind of conclude the series a little bit in Matthew chapter 2 here, verses 14 and 15, if you would follow along as I read. And it says, and he arose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. And this is important. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That's the prophecy. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, I want to organize our thoughts this morning with just three simple things. I know I was long last week. I won't be as long this week. All right? All God's people said, Amen. 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 Don't count on it. I want to organize our thoughts about this. If you have your notes this morning, you'll see that the New Testament statement of the prophecy, I want to look at that for a moment. Then I want to look at the Old Testament background of this prophecy because the background of this prophecy is phenomenal. It's amazing what God is doing in this prophecy. And then I want to learn a couple lessons. What lessons can we learn from it? In other words, how, how, does, that affect, how does that affect me today? How should that affect me and you today? So first of all, the New Testament statement of the prophecy, the Bible tells us that when Jesus was born, I'm not going to read all this because it's in the text, God kept his promises and he said, out of Egypt, I called my son. Now, 700 years later, the nation of Israel, understand in the context of Hosea, 700 years out of that historic event, the children of Israel had departed from God. They were not living for God. And God calls this prophet Hosea to tell them, listen, God has been faithful to you, but you are not being faithful to him. So God calls Hosea, and he has Hosea for the sake of time, I'm going to tell you what happens in Hosea. If you've never read this book, you need to read this book. It's, it's amazing. And so God has Hosea marry a very unfaithful wife. Because he wanted that marriage 
to be a picture of Israel's relationship to God. You remember what his wife's name was, Gomer, right? Don't think of Gomer Pyle. He's ruined this name. His wife's name was Gomer. I realize that we have smaller children in the service, so let me say it this way. Gomer was a very unfaithful woman. A woman of the evening, some would say. But God, in His plan, in His providence, tells Hosea to marry Gomer. And Hosea did. Then, not surprisingly, as you read the book of Hosea, you find that Gomer left her husband and she chased after other men. The Scriptures tells us that Gomer went from one sinful man to another sinful man and then to another sinful man who actually was ready to auction her off as a slave. And in that wicked culture, they treated women that way. And some might say, well, that's exactly what she's deserved for her unfaithfulness. Well, maybe, but not, but not in God's culture and plan. Because God said to the prophet Hosea, I want you, Hosea, to go to this auction. Not in anger towards your wife, not to rejoice because she's getting what she deserved. But God says, no, I want you to go to this auction, Hosea, and buy her back. I want you to buy her back. You can picture the scene here. There's all these evil people buying and selling human beings and and Hosea's wife comes up on the auction block and there's all of this shame and all of this remorse from from a lifetime of bad decisions that, that she has made. And the bidding starts, and and there's this voice that comes in the background, a voice that Gomer fairly recognizes, and and faintly she recognizes this voice. And and it, it was a man who long ago had made promises to her, and she had made promises to him. But she had broken her promises, and she had fully expected, I'm sure, Hosea to break his promises to her. But it was Hosea. And the Bible tells us that he bought his wife and he brought his wife back into her home and he loved her, he nourished her, and he kept his promises to her. It's amazing, isn't it? And here in Hosea chapter 11 and verse 1, God is saying that's just like me. That is just like me. Because in 1440 BC, I kept my promise that out of Egypt, I have called my son and I delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. 
in 700 B.C. I am offering forgiveness to anyone who would repent regardless of what they have done because my promises never failed and out of Egypt I have called my son. I have called my children back to me. Now in Matthew... He tells us something we would have never known except that it was recorded for us in Matthew chapter 2. And in that event, that event that took place in Exodus and that statement that he makes in the book of Hosea was actually a type of Christ. It was a prophetic picture of Christ and what he would do for us. Because of his birth, because of his life, because of his ministry and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his subsequent work of calling people to himself, we, the, we would all, that would all revolve around the process of God keeping his promises, making promises and keeping them. Out of Egypt I have called my son. I need to ask you this morning, do you like promises? I think the answer would still be the same, yes. Yes, there are certain things about promises I like. And maybe no, there are certain things about promises that I don't like. Even the promises of God? And I think if we're honest, we would say that even the promises of God we struggle with. Because on the one hand, we're thankful that God has made promises to us and He's given us His Word. We're glad He hasn't kept us in the dark. But we're kind of living in that period in between. Aren't we? In between the time when the promises were made and the time when the promises are going to be fulfilled. And if we're honest, most of us would say, like the New Testament man said at one torn time, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. Yes, I believe. Help me. I'm struggling. You ever been there? I think the message from Matthew's perspective this morning would be, remember the phrase, out of Egypt, I called my son. I kept my promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Joseph. And because I'm a covenant-keeping God, I fulfilled my promises to them. And I kept my promises to Israel during Hosea's day, just like he did with his unfaithful wife, Because I am a covenant-keeping God. And I kept my promises to provide and protect the Messiah here in Matthew chapter 2 and have him go to Egypt to protect him from Herod. Because out of Egypt I called my son. Can I ask you this morning, this two Sundays before Christmas... What promises of God do you particularly need to hear? 
What promises of God do I especially need to believe this time of year? We have a lot of them. I'm wondering this morning about the person who has maybe not yet trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, and you're saying, you know, I'm wrestling, I'm wrestling with this issue of faith. And maybe you're slow to trust in someone and something that you have never seen, that you have never touched. I would say to you this morning, friend, out of Egypt, God says, I have called my son. You see, God makes promises and he keeps them. Maybe you're here this morning and you're here and you say, you know, well, I've just messed up too much. I, I've gone too far. I've, I've messed up. My life has just been a mess one thing after another. I'm too far gone. And my response to that this morning would be, because of the makeup of this crowd and the shortness of time, I didn't tell you half the story of what Gomer did. But I can tell you that compared to her, you're, you're a choir boy. You're a choir girl. And if God could forgive her, He can forgive you. Amen? He can forgive you. Most of the people in this room have experienced that forgiveness. And if you're looking for any sinners in the room, just the person next to you is far enough. Because we're all sinners saved by grace. That's why Jesus said in John 6, 37, He who comes to me I will in no wise cast out, for God so loved the world that he gave, right? Gave. Friends, those are the promises of God. Remember, out of Egypt I have called my son. God makes his promises and he keeps them. I wonder how many are here this morning who are facing real difficulties. The pressures are mounting, the walls are, are caving in. And you're wondering, has God forgotten all about me? Friend, I can, I can tell you that Hebrew says, I will, I will never leave you. He says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is what? He's faithful. He, he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God is enough. In 2 Corinthians, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. John 14, 6 tells me and, and, and says, look, in 14, 1 to 3, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I do that, I'm coming back. Amen? He's coming back. And we're going to get a new body. And we're going to get a new earth. And Joe and I were talking about the whole global warming thing here. You know, this, this freeze is coming down. I believe in global warming, but it, it's going to burn. It's what it's going to do. <laughs> it's not just going to be warm. It, it's going to burn. And it's going to be gone, but we're getting a new heaven and a new earth. How do I know that? Because he told us that. He told me that. I don't really care how much resources we use up here. It ain't going to be gone until God burns it all up with his resources. So we're getting a new body. 
was at DJ swim meet last week, and <clears throat> I was watching these guys swimming and racing at school and bath, and I said, man, I need to get back in shape. <laughs> so I went to the coach afterwards, and I said, you know, coach, is there, is there any nights that the pool's open that, you know, the public can come in and swim? And I said, I, I told him, I said, I really need to get back in shape. And he looks about like me, and, and he says to me, Round is a shape. <laughs> that was a classic. <laughs> I don't think round is the shape we're supposed to be. But I thought that was a great answer. All these promises. All these promises that God has made. Does God really have the resources? Does He really have the resources to fulfill these promises? Well, He had the resources and the power to cause a virgin to conceive. He had the resources and the power to get the wise men to the right place at the right time. He had the resources to just... Foil Herod's plot and killing of all these. That's another prophecy that, that we should look at. But, but he had the resources to, to deal with all of this. He had the resources to feel this prophecy that out of Egypt I have called my son, looking back 700 years to the time of Hosea, looking back 1,400 years before these events took place, that he delivered his son, the children of Israel, out of bondage and out of Egypt. And I think if he can do that, I think he can handle anything on our plate. I think he can handle anything that we go through. Think about the comfort that that we can give to to our family and loved ones in other places. They're, they're away from us. We, we pray for them. Think about our missionaries who are in some very difficult places today. Their lives are at stake. I don't know how many times we read about missionaries, their lives being taken. God is still on the throne, right? Out of Egypt, I have called my son. I make promises and I keep them. Do you ever look up at the sky at times and, and think, is, is, this all, is this all really true? It's okay to admit that. We're, we're human beings. But friends, let Christmas teach us the lesson that out of Egypt, I have called my son, and I keep my promises. One more thing, the language. The language in Hosea chapter 3 and verse 2 is interesting. This love story of Hosea and Gomer and showing his love to her. Gomer's on the auction block in chapter 3. And and as it's going on, it says, So I bought her for myself. For 15 shekels of silver and some barley and something else. I bought her for myself. You see, Hosea actually redeemed his wife. 
He redeemed his wife. What does redeem mean? It means to buy back something that was originally yours. Gomer was his wife. He's going to the auction block and buying her back. He redeemed her to himself. Some of you may have grown up in a home where the father was an alcoholic. And in some occasions, the father would take a piece of furniture or take some tools or, or take a gun to the jewelry and, and, and some of the stuff and take it to the pawn shop and, and he would pawn off his goods to get enough money to get more alcohol to feed his habit. The children wondering if they're ever going to get that back. But maybe dad got sober and he would take the money in the next paycheck and go back to that pawn shop and buy it back. He'd redeem it back to himself. You see, redeemed in the Bible means that we originally belonged to him, but through our own selfishness and greed, we choose to go our own way. But Jesus redeemed us back. You and I were on the chopping block in the slave market of sin and going our own way, and Jesus loved us enough and redeemed us back. Have, have you ever experienced the love of God like that? Redeemed. How I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Redeemed through His infinite mercy, His child, and forever I am. I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Christmas is a great time. I love those songs again this morning. Just just some tremendous songs around Christmas time. Love was when God became a man. Lovingly he brought a new life to me that was free. I'm adopted. Hallelujah. I love that chorus. My Redeemer is faithful and true. Everything he has said, he will do. And every morning, his mercies are what? New. 